been a while since I've talked to you. So, uh, I mean, I talked to you last week, but uh, <laughs> I told one of my staff going down the hall, I said, it's, it seems like it's been forever since I've spoke up here, but it's been five weeks. Um, has been five weeks. Um, because originally it was planned for, you know, I did the intro to the series, and Dan Haney and I, that was the last time I spoke. And, uh, and then this is the fifth week of the series, and after that. And so uh, we've gone through the five solas, uh, talking about the five things that are most important and, and our, in our uh, foundational understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so this morning we're going to kind of wrap this up. Next week's Easter. And actually this week and next week kind of tie together, so just let you know. Uh, for those of you who are coming back next week, which I hope you will be, and your job between now and next week is not only to be here, but it's to invite somebody. Because truthfully, Easter is the easiest Sunday of the whole year to invite somebody because people come just because it's Easter. For no other reason. And so we're going to have a, a gospel message talking about how the, we're not going to just talk about the cross, but we're going to talk about what it means for us. Because, uh, you know, every year that I, I, I thought about this, this will be my 15th Easter in a row at Great Oaks uh, of speaking. And, uh, and the thing about it is, it's interesting, is because every year you talk about the same thing at Easter. You kind of know what you're going to get at Easter, right? The cross, you know. But uh, how to make it new and, 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 and uh, refreshing to people. But this year I'm not going to talk, take a standard Easter uh, uh, scripture. I'm actually going to be teaching out of one of the Gospels, uh, Mark chapter 10, uh, next week, which really deals with the application of why the cross is so important to us and how, that we, how can we connect with the cross and what God did for us there as well. But today, though, we come to the last of the five what we call solas, the alone, passage, uh, the, the alone uh, doctrines of the church. We've talked about scripture alone. We've talked about uh, grace alone, faith alone. Last week, uh, Jake did a tremendous job of talking about glory to God alone. And today, I'm going to wrap it all together by talking about Christ alone. Christ alone. Why is it so important that we understand that Christ alone is something that we as believers, and I will say that today, if you're here and you're not really sure where you are in relationship to God, this is something that we as believers believe it's, it's, it's a foundational thing. It's not a gray area. It's black and white that we must believe these five things we've talked about. And we're going to tie them up today. Now, years ago, several years ago, since I've been at Great Oaks, I've had some opportunities to travel some places I never thought I would travel. One of those was about five years ago. I was trying to think how long ago it was. About five years ago, I got to go to Africa to a place called Mali and Senegal and, and, tra and travel out down this, this, this <laughs> a long way out in the middle of nowhere uh, to some tribal villages out to some place, a, a tribal group called the Yolanka. And as we were out there doing this initial uh, connection with this group, which we now have missionaries in, um, I, we came out there and I was amazed. I'm going to tell you folks, I was so amazed when I went out to the place in, in uh, Yolonkaville, and uh, it is not called that, by the way, um, out to a, group, uh, a village called Falia, which is the kind of the county seat of all these villages, multiple villages around there. We don't know how many there are because we don't even know how to get to most of them. Um, go in there and began to uh, connect with the Yolonka people through interpreters. It was kind of fun doing that. Uh, they speak French. I took French in high school and have spoken since then. And... Um, and then uh, some other languages, tribal languages as well. And so I didn't speak any of them. So we were through interpreters. But I was amazed how open they were to listening and embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, 
it, it was like, man, come and tell us about the, they call it the big creator. And so we talked to them, and it was great, and it was fantastic. And I was so excited about, man, these are the most accessible people to the gospel I've ever been. But began to realize, as we were there for several days out in these villages, that they kind of like didn't really get it. Because what the problem was is, yes, they would embrace Jesus Christ, but as one of many ways they wanted to put together. They also had been embracing the, the Muslim, the Islam religion, for a number of years. They also had what was called animism, which is just kind of a, a creation and, and uh, a, a belief in nature and gods of nature and stuff. So what they wanted to do was is they wanted to take Christianity and Islam and animism and kind of merge them together into their own little uh, kind of idea of this is how we, we relate to the big creator. And we began to realize the biggest issue that we were having as Christian missionaries and going there was to help them to understand that it can't be this and this and this, but it has to be Christ alone. And that's what we're going to talk about today, Christ alone. And now we say, we think because they're, they're primitive and they're uneducated that, that they have a problem with that. But we have just as big a problem with embracing Christ alone as well. I believe Christians today struggle with some, the same inconsistency, saying we believed in Christ alone, but uh, that Christ alone can save, but often relying on other things as well. We have Christ and this. Um, and we have just as much of a problem because I have conversations all the time with people who come into the life of the church and they simply say, well, you know, uh, we believe in Christ alone, but uh, we got to be inclusive. We like inclusivity. In our, in, in, our, in our culture, do we not? We want to make, not make anybody offended because we think if we believe in something firmly, it must offend somebody else, and we wouldn't want to offend anybody else, would we? Well, the reality is, is uh, for Christians, for Christians, if we believe in the first solo we talked about, Chris talked about five weeks ago, which is Scripture alone, that Scripture is our authority and nothing else, then you have to believe in Christ alone. I'm not going to spend a whole, I'm going to throw out some verses when we start today to show you this is where it's taught in Scripture, but I'm only giving you a sampling of the verses today. Then I'm going to talk about how do we apply this to our lives so that we can live Christ alone, Christ-centered lives, because that's what this is all about. Not just believing something in our heads, but living out something, Scripture as well. And the problem that we have in so much in the world is that, and I've heard this so many times, is people have, and it's not only out in the world, but it's in churches sometimes too, we have this false worldview that everybody is trying to get to God. But they're just kind of, I've heard this before, that God's on a mountain, and everybody's climbing up different paths to God. You ever heard that one before, in different variations of that? Well, that is not a biblical view of who we are. Because the biblical view is, is and if, if you want to just write down one verse and read it later, in Romans 3, verses 10 through 18, this is what it says about how people are trying to get to God. It says this, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. No one. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. That's a pretty strong language. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It is saying this basically in Scripture. No, there's not a bunch of gods upon a mountain, and everybody's trying to get him by different paths. 
The reality is in life is that none of us seek God. It's God who seeks us. It's the other way around, and so we must understand how we can connect with God. That's why in Christ alone is important, and if we believe in Scripture alone is our authority, then we will understand that. See, this is the doctrine of Christ alone in a nutshell. Just go ahead and pop up the next slide. Christ alone explains what our problem is and why we need a Savior and how God in His mercy provided all that is necessary for us to be in Christ. That is what this means. Christ alone means that. It describes our problem, why we need a Savior, how God in His mercy provided all that is necessary for us to be in Christ. And, and um, it goes all the way back. It just doesn't start just in the New Testament. I could have gone back and picked out a ton of Old Testament verses. Let me just give you one, and I'm going to go through these quickly. These are the verses that describe this, this belief. Psalm 62.1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. For God alone. Now, in the Old Testament, it was God alone. But God alone and Christ alone are the same thing. Because guess who Christ is? He is God. Okay, we get that. Okay, it's not separate beings. It's just, I don't, don't guess me to describe the Trinity. Okay, but the reality is, is that God in Christ, it's for God alone, my soul waits in silence. For him, from him comes my salvation. All the way back in Psalms, it talks about that. And then we get into the New Testament, and Jesus said uh, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Could any verse be clear? I mean, it's like, that's not gray, okay? God, God works through, through those things. John 1, verses 1 through 4 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in, in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of, the, light of men. John 3, 16, how many of you know that verse? Okay, three, John 3, 16, 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. If that doesn't convince you, let's go a little bit further. Two more verses. I, I could give you 50, Okay. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and 20 and 22. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, or you are still in your sins. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And finally, Galatians 2, 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, Scripture teaches, not gray, black and white, that it is Christ alone in which we have our, our, our hope of salvation. He fixed the problem. God fixed the problem through his son, Jesus Christ. And it is Christ alone that we find God. We're not looking all at multiple mountains. That's what we believe that because of what Scripture teaches. So what I want to talk about for the remainder of our time today is this. How to live a Christ-centered life. How do you live a Christ-alone life? That's kind of what it's all about. Or another way to say it, how do you live a life that's not about me? You. Because that's so often what we do. 
we focus on me. I want to tell you, it's, this has been an unusual week for me. Not in a bad way. I've had so many people come to me and go like, Bill, how you doing? It was like this get deep concern in me, like I'm like falling apart. Really, this has happened this week. Like something's horrible happened. No, no, I'm excited about the future of the church. I'm glad. I'm relieved that we're at this point. But I had some really interesting conversations with people coming to me and saying to me, this really strange, this, this is going to sound self-serving, but I'll say it anyway because it's a great illustration. They came to me and said, multiple ways, said, Bill, I really respect you because of what you've done. Of what I've done, what have I done? You know, I, I had to ask them what I've done that, that caused such great respect. <clears throat> and they say things like, you know, most pastors in your position could not, have, could not step aside and, and be on staff for you know, three more years. That's what our plan is about, the way, okay? I've had three people ask me if I've retired officially. I'm retiring from lead pastor officially. I don't know when. It's kind of limbo. Whenever Jake should be here, hopefully mid-May. We hope. I hope. You know, whatever. But they said, you know, the thing is, is that you know, how many? Not many guys can do that. And I'm thinking, why can't they do that? And then I had one person come to me and said, and I, and, I, and I love this lady with all my heart because she's been a, a key person in the life of this church since day one when I came, and, and even before that. And she said to me, Pastor Bill, he said, uh, you, you, you said day one when you came, it's not about you. And you know where we got that from? I didn't, I didn't make that up. That came out of Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life book, page one. It's not about you. And she said, you've lived that before us for the last 15 years. Okay, so I'm patting myself on the back right now. But I'm telling you this. That's what the Christ alone life looks like. The Christ-centered life looks like. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not going to be about Jake. It's about Christ. Always pointed to Christ. I mean, my deal is this. It's easy for me to transition to this because I want what's best for the church. And what's best for the church is that Christ is lifted up and then we continue the process of, of doing the things that would help us to live a Christ-alone life. It's not about me. When I watched that video a while ago of Peru, were y'all moved by that? I was. I was back there. I had to clear, dry my eyes after I finished. And the reason for that is not only what happened, but I saw particularly in there, you know, the guys all moved, but I saw particularly... And I don't know if he's here right now, if he's going to be here second service. But an 80-year-old guy who was out shoveling sand in the heat of Peru. And when he spoke, he said, he said, I have, I, I'm so blessed. And maybe that's just the way I was, but I have too much. I thought about that because I thought about years ago when my daughter, who's now 34-ish, Mid-30s, somewhere. I think, I think she's 34. I can't remember. She was born in 1982, so you figured out that stuff. Anyway, might be 35 almost. September, she'll be 35. Uh, I have to sit and do the math. Okay, <laughs> math's not my thing. Um, but I remember when she was a freshman in college, when you were freshman and sophomore years, uh, they did it at her school. She was at a Christian school, 
And they went on, on, instead of spring break being spring break, it was missions break. And she went on a, a missions trip to Dominican Republic. She was right on the border of Dominican and Haiti working with kids. And when they left, they took two suitcases. One was filled up with crayons and colored books and stuff to give to the kids there they were going to be working with. The other was with her clothes and all of her stuff. And I'll never forget when I picked her up at the airport. We drove down to Knoxville, Tennessee, where she was in school. And we drove down there, and we went to the airport to pick her up. And she came back. Number one, she had braids. They all got their hair braided when they were down there. I mean, like little tight, kinky braids. It was like a lot of Jamaican kids or something. You know, anyway, uh, really unusual. But then I, uh, she came, hugged me. And then did she, and, the, and I said, where's your suitcase? She said, right there. And I picked them up, and they were both empty. And I'm going like, well, where's your clothes? She said, Dad, when I went there and saw the poverty there, and I saw so many people without, and I saw a lady who came to me, and she was an 18-year-old, but she went to college 17. When she was, an 18, she was 18 at the time, the lady came to me and said, would you take my baby back to the States with you? Because they'll have a better life. She said, I doubt, how can I, what can I do? She gave all her clothes away, along with every other kid there. They all came back with empty suitcases. And then she looked at me and she said, Dad, I learned it's not about me. She said, I will never be the same. And I'm wondering if these guys that went to Peru will ever be the same. Because when you face poverty, and different difficulty face to face. It makes you realize it's not about you. So, let's look at a verse of scripture. <laughs> Got 15 minutes. Okay, let's do that. Philippians chapter 2. We looked at this back a few weeks, a few months ago when we went through Philippians, but this is such a great passage that talks about this, how to apply this Christ alone living into our life. First of all, the, the fact that we're all called to live Christ alone lives. Did you know that? If you're a Christian, you're called to live a Christ-alone life. Not about just coming to church on Sunday. It means everything, every day, should be focused on Christ alone. So here it is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is the call. So Paul says, therefore, based upon some things he said before, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. And then this is what it says, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Then here's the key verse. Do nothing, do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And I don't have time to go through all this, but basically there's five commands in verses 2 through 4 there. It says, be of the same mind, have the same love, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Not, look not only to your own interest, but the interest of others. And what Paul is talking about, he's referring back to Philippians chapter 1 verse 27, which says this, whatever happens, whatever happens in your life, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And you know who he's writing that to? Followers of Christ, not only then, but in the future. This is the call to live a Christ-centered life. A life like Christ lived. You know what the word Christian means? One definition of it? Little Christ. 
You're all little Christ. I'm a little Christ. It means we're to be like Christ. Not just, not just kind of re- reflecting him, but living the same kind of life that he lived. That's what it means. And so the key verse there, do nothing, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, is a verse that we need to understand if we're going to in, in not only believe, but involve ourselves in living Christ-centered, Christ-alone lives day to day. The problem that we have in the culture, and I've shared this with you before, when I was in college, I was a psychology minor, which means I know enough about psychology to, to help a little bit, but not enough to really help a lot. Um, but it helped me to understand people, but I don't think I, you have to be a psychologist to understand people. Because the problem is in our culture today, we look around all the time, and people have this problem. We have this, this vacuum in our life, this, this starvation in our life. Some people call it a glory vacuum or honor starvation, but it's based upon deep insecurity. And the deep insecurity is this, is that we, people won't recognize us, that, that we will be considered less worthy than someone else. And so we always are trying to fill it up with stuff in our lives. And, and it's kind of like this. I've been, I've been learning as I get older. Uh, that there's the, the fighting thing I fight in older adults, and you can configure whatever older adult is, okay? You can put a number on that if you want to. If you consider yourself an older adult, I'm not going to put a number on it, okay? But anyway, older adults, it's kind of like a golf analogy. We consider ourselves, on, and I'm an older adult, I'm kind of on the back nine, okay? That's a good analogy, the back nine. That doesn't mean you're finished the game yet. But you're on the back nine. And the struggle is this. As we fight against this mindset that we can, we're, because we're on the back nine, we can settle now. And the best years of our life have passed us by. I talk to adults all the time that's that way. And we feel like, because, because when you're a younger adult in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, I will put a number on that. What do you do? You imagine what's it going to be like in the future. You're imagining, you're, you're, you're future focused. And because we always think, well, if I do this, or if I accomplish this, or I do that, that's going to give me meaning in life. It's going to fill this vacuum, this honor vacuum, this glory vacuum in our life. And our life is going to be so much more meaningful. And so we spend all of our life future focused in doing. And I've come to understand something. Man, my iPad just fell down. That's crazy. Stay there. Stay. Okay. Um, It's not about doing. The one thing I want to understand as I get older and and that I've done is I spent all my life doing, 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 doing for God. I can even say that. But it's about being who God wants me to be. So one of the things I want to do in life is slow down enough so I can be with God. People are always telling me, you need to do this when you retire because that is what, you know, this is all your life experiences. And I'm going like... How about I just slow down long enough for a while to get to know God a little bit better? Then maybe he can direct me where he wants me to be and do. And that's going to, to me, that's exciting to have this, this relationship with God. A God-centered, God-focused life is not about doing all the time. It's about being before God and connecting with God in such a way that we know. Like Jesus, did, was Jesus connected with God the Father? Yeah, 
like nobody else has ever been connected with God the Father. When, you know, when he thought, his thoughts and his things. And why? Because Jesus was always doing. Did you notice that Jesus would pull aside lots of times just to hang out with God? Lots of times. I mean, people got, his disciples got ticked with him because he wasn't doing enough. And so Jesus says, no, I need to connect with the Father. And he'd go away for long periods of time. But we have this deep insecurity, this deep thing that people will think we're not special. It's kind of like, you know, how many of you like Rocky movies? Three of you. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> well, if you, you know, you guys are, are in the fan club with Dan Baker. Dan Baker is, loves Rocky movies. He thinks Rocky movies were the best movies ever made. I don't know what is, if that says anything about Dan, I don't know. And it was like, what, six, seven Rocky movies? The first three were all right. That's my judgment. But you remember in the Rocky movie, Rocky won, and he was getting ready to fight Apollo Creed? Remember that? I like really the third character in Apollo, Rocky three. I think it was Rocky three. Clubber Lang, Mr. T. Pity the fool. And uh, remember that? Yeah, you, you're shaking your heads, y'all. I've seen Rocky movies. Okay. But in Rocky 1, uh, Rocky is just getting started in his career, and he's got his opportunity to fight Apollo Creed, who's the greatest fighter, undefeated. Nobody's ever gone the distance with him. And Rocky's kind of like, right before the fight, he's having this conversation with Adrian. <sighs> well, just watch this conversation with Adrian, okay? Can't do it. I can't beat him. Apollo? Yeah. I've been out there walking around, thinking. I mean, who am I kidding? I ain't even in the guy's league. What are we gonna do?
I don't know if you got that incredible acting there, but uh, <laughs> Rocky said basically, Adrian, if I'm just, can you just go to distance? I know I'm not a bum. That's kind of how we all are. We want people not think we're a bum. Maybe we wouldn't say those words. But that's the deal. We want, to, we want to have significance and meaning in life. And we're afraid so often that people, if they really know us, will discover who we really are. And so we'll try to do anything to, get, have, to fill up this honor vacuum, this, this, this glory vacuum that we have in our life. But Paul says to us in Scripture there in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. If we live the Christ-centered life, it's different. It's different. It's not, we don't have to fill up the void because God is going to fill it for us. And so how does he do that? How does he give us the power to live a Christ-focused life? Well, the last few verses I'm going to read, just briefly comment on them. Verses 5 through 11 of Philippians chapter 2. Now, how do you, how do you live the Christ-centered life? How do you do this living without selfish ambition or vain conceit? He says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Which is yours now read that and underline that. That is yours. This mind of Christ is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has ex highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, but so at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, Paul's saying here, we can have that mind. But we have to do what God did. He had to humble himself. He, he emptied himself of his rights and his privileges. Let me ask you this. If anybody ever lived upon the face of this earth that could have been considered entitled, would it be Jesus Christ? Entitled means having the worth to do the things that, that he wanted to do. You know, the, the problem is, is we have this American consumer mindset. We wake up every morning believing that we are entitled people. How do I know that's true? Because we wake up and we think, I deserve a life better than I have right now. I don't like my job. I don't like my, my marriage. I don't like my house. I don't like my kids. I don't like my car. I mean, I went over to the car show for Friday. <laughs> that's hilarious. I walked through there going like, I can't afford that. I can't afford that. I can't afford that. I can't afford Is there any car here I can afford? And I, really, I'm doing some future research because in a couple of years, I'm going to buy another car. I, my, my Taurus, it's such an incredible car, but it has 170000 on it, and it's starting to get clunky. So we decided we're going to get a midsize SUV or a small SUV. And I wanted to see, the number one thing I went to the car show was this, not to see what's the most expensive car, the coolest car I could buy, but which car would fit my legs. Because I'm 6'3", you know. And so I found there's only two SUVs midsize that come close. I don't know why they make SUVs, you know, so small, you know. But the reality, you know, it's the link thing. Okay. But the reality is, as I was there, though, as I was walking around, there was this lady, this young lady, probably 30-ish, okay, 30, mid-30s, okay. You're a young lady if you're mid-30s, okay. And she's walking around. She's looking at all these really expensive cars, Porsches and all these things. She's going, I just can't decide. I just can't decide. And she was just, she was frantic. And I'm going like, Woman, if you can afford one of those, you don't have a problem. 
But we have this mindset, I need it bigger and better and all the time. And the problem, Paul is saying that the one person who had all the rights and the privileges, who could exercise what we call the divine prerogatives, because you don't forgive sin unless you're God, right? You don't raise people from the dead unless you're God. That one person who could do those things, other than God himself, which Jesus is God, was Jesus Christ. And it says in Scripture that he gave all this up, all of his divine rights and prerogatives. He abandoned them willingly to become nothing. And not only did that, he says he took on the form of what? A servant. He was obedient to the Father to the point of death. See, Christ alone, and understanding it explains what our problem is, why we need a Savior, and how God in his mercy provided all that is necessary for us to be in Christ. And it's a theme that runs throughout Scripture. Even in the Old Testament, this was an understanding that we can't do enough to be made right with God. God had to do something for us, and he did it through Christ. And if you don't believe me, let me just give you one example in Scripture in the Old Testament. It's, it's interesting. It's actually back in Exodus, Exodus chapter 24, but even the, 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 before that, in verse chapter 20 through 23, chapter 20, he gives the Ten Commandments. In the next three chapters, he gives this list of commandments, like tons and tons and tons and tons of commandments. Just read it, 20 through 23 of Exodus, Okay. You wouldn't believe all the commandments. You thought it was just ten. Well, there were the top ten. Then there was all these sub-commandments. And then he gets to chapter 24, verses 3. Then it says this, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. He told them not just the ten commandments. He told them all the rules. Must have been a long sermon, okay? And guess what the people did? And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And I'm going, I would like to have been pastor of that church. (laughs) I come on Sunday morning, open the scripture, read it, and you go like, we will do it. (laughs) And then it goes further in here, and and it talks about, you know, some things they did. And then in verse... uh, (laughs) Verse 7, it says, he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of people again to make sure they understood. And they said again, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And you thought that Moses would have said, amen. Amen means I agree, by the way, okay? So if you ever say amen, all you're saying is I agree. You didn't know that, did you? Maybe you did. Maybe you do now. Okay. But then Moses does something weird. It says, verse 8, and Moses took the blood, they would sacrifice an animal, took the blood, and he threw it on the people. You're going like, they must not have been a Presbyterian, they'd have sprinkled it on the people. (laughs) And then he said, behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. You know what he was saying? Moses is going, I'm glad that you say you'll be obedient, but you can't be obedient. You'll mess up tomorrow. And the only way that that can happen is that the blood of the, at that time, sacrifice, but the blood of the lamb, which is going to be sacrificed for all our sins, 
is the only way. Only God can do something to make you have a way to him. Only God. And it goes all the way back in the Old Testament. Only God, only Christ. So why is it so important that we must believe in Christ alone? Why is it important that, that I not only believe, that I not only believe in, in, uh, but in act upon this truth? Because this, it is in, to Christ alone that I must be faithful. I must be exclusively devoted to Jesus Christ above all else. Because the object of our faith is what is important. See, we often believe that it's simply faith in faith that's important. You go like, what? Yeah, we have, this, we have this idea as if faith is a work that we do to get favor with God. As Dan described a couple of weeks ago, faith is not only something that we do, but it's something that God gives us. It's not faith in faith. that, that it's, it's the object of faith the, that Christ does his part and my part. It's the object of our faith that matters. It's kind of like this. I learned this when I came here a few years ago. You ever gone ice skating on a pond? Anybody here ever go ice skating on a pond around here? Bless you. I don't have enough, I don't have enough faith in the ice. <laughs> Let me ask you, though. I mean, what is it that keeps you from falling into the freezing water that's below the ice? Is it faith? Is it your faith? And the ability of the ice to hold you up? Is that what keeps you? Is, is it your faith? That's your act? No, it's the thickness of the ice. The object of your faith. Get it? See, so often our hope is, your hope is not in how, it's, it's like this way, your hope is not in how much faith you can muster up but in the greatness of the Savior that we need to understand. That's what in Christ alone means. And not simply having faith that he's, you know, it's I'm, something I do. Because he's done it all for us. He's given us the faith. He's given us grace. He's given us, he's given us all these things so that we can believe in him alone. See, Christ alone, going back to what I said to start with, Christ alone explains what our problem is and why we need a Savior and how God in his mercy provided all that is necessary for us to be in Christ. And something else it does. Because he did it for us. And it's not based upon us. Our faith is from him. Not in faith. It's not a work. So that no one can boast. <laughs> it gives us assurance of our salvation as well. One of the things I find people all the time terrified. Terrified. I, I just want to make sure I'm really with God. See, Christ alone means this. It means that all that was necessary for our salvation was accomplished by Christ. It's important that we believe this and live it. It, it, it tempers what we do every day, but it also gives us, uh, gives us assurance that everything is going to be all right. Now, we're going to sing a song as we close this morning. <laughs> so the band, band, get ready to come on out, okay? There we go. <laughs> We're going to sing a song. And you know, the thing is interesting. I grew up in singing traditional hymns. How many of you grew up in singing traditional hymns? Okay, most of you. If you didn't go to church, you're going, to, what's a traditional hymn? Okay, that's all right. But one of the songs that we sing all the time, we believe, we sing a song, and I hope you, when you sing this today, we're going to sing it again in a little different way. 
But the song, it says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Now I sang it all the time growing up, not realizing that was exactly about this belief. That it is in Christ alone that I stand. Next week we're going to sing that song, Christ Alone. <laughs> it's part of next week's message. But we need to understand that Jesus paid it all. And we truly can live a life of assurance that we have if we trust in him and his plan. He's done what we need to do. It's not faith in faith. It's faith in the object of our faith, and the faith is in Jesus Christ. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads just for a moment this, this, this moment, this, this morning. God, I thank you so much for the fact that you love us so much that you do, did everything for us, God. You, you give us faith. You give us grace. You give us your word, God, that allows us to not, to not only um, know about you, but to know you. But God, more importantly than any of those other things, you give us Christ. And it's in Christ alone that we need to place our trust. Because truly, Jesus did pay it all. This is not just a song we sing. This is a truth that's evident throughout Scripture. Let me ask you this morning, as you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if, if you've never come to the point in your life where you've said yes to him and say, God, I, I want to trust in you. God, I, you don't have to know everything there is about everything, but you have to know this, that I want to trust in you more than anything else because I believe that you did truly pay it all. And because of what you did upon a cross, that you paid for, this, for all my sins. If you've never said yes to him this morning, I just ask if you, right where you are, that you just take a moment to say yes to Jesus Christ. Say, yes, Jesus, I want to be, I want to trust in you. I want to, I, I want to believe in you, not only in my head, but with my heart, which means I'm going to act upon that belief. And my desire, God, more than anything else right now is to live a Christ-centered, Christ-focused, Christ-alone life for the remainder of my days. If that's your desire this morning, you just simply have to tell that to God. And I want to encourage you to take a next step, even after that, if you do that this morning, that one of the ways you can let other people know is by letting us know that you've done that. And maybe even next week, we're going to have baptism. And baptism is simply a way of you expressing to God that you're serious about this commitment to Him. It doesn't give you any kind of extra grace, any mercy. It's just simply, it's simply a way of... of, of showing to people and to God that you mean business. So I want to encourage you to do just that. You can take the card, the part of your bulletin, tear it off, write some stuff on it, your information, write I made this commitment to Christ today and I want to be baptized as the next step. And in doing so, uh, we will follow up with you and encourage you and, and whatever steps you need today. God, we thank you so much that we can trust in you fully. It is in Christ alone that we place our trust. Thank you, God, for your incredible love. Guide us now, this week, 
that we would live Christ alone, Christ-centered lives every moment of every day. We ask these things in Jesus' name.